It's Scuba Obsessed. It's a weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving, from cool new gear, to places a dive, and scuba news. Obsessed episode 497 is recorded live June 3rd, 2021. Welcome back to Scoob Obsessed. I'm Darren Chilson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan. Where I do believe this is about as good as you get for early season. I didn't call it early season, mid-season dive weather. Joining me this week, we have Mac, the dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? So far, so good. So uh, the, the question that's on my mind is, uh, did you get a chance to get out and do any diving this week? See, last week I did. This week I did not. I did more flying than I did diving. We do have a dive plan for tomorrow. And we will have a uh, Thursday, no, let's see, uh, next Tuesday, I think we're having a dive at Pompa. We're starting up our weekly dives. Yeah, it is getting, I saw that uh, Amy had posted on the Facebook page that there were some dives that were going to be happening. Yep. Thankful Tuesday. So Thank it'll be, you. and it's a little Pompa and food afterwards. Those who would like to participate or share the vittles. Nothing seems to go quite as well with diving as food in and drink afterward. So yeah. I would like to thank everybody who's in the chat room. A little bit of a rough start. I'm trying to, I've got four or five different screens all going. And I put it out in the show notes what the link was to the live stream, but I didn't put it in the chat room. So thank you, Derek, for putting that in. Uh, also, we have uh, Karen and Eric in there. So thank you very much. And those that are in that chat room, I'm going to mute myself. So hopefully that cuts down on some of the feedback. You're not hearing me. And I guess you'd already be hearing me in two ears, but who knows where else you'd be. You'd be hearing me. So I do have, I have to apologize for last week. I didn't have my charger and that created quite a problem. Uh, we got to about 6% charge and that was it. It It didn't die right away, but it didn't have enough juice to actually even save the video to disc or to stream it. So uh, we heard the bad joke, Mac and I, but you guys didn't. And I can't even remember what it is now. So it'll kind of be hit and miss if we, we get it again or not. Well, let's go ahead and jump right on into the news. Uh, we had a lot of articles this week and I don't know if we're going to get all the way through them or last week I only had three. Now I've got like nine or something. So I think we are going to end up going through them pretty quick. So I'd be surprised if we get all the way, way, way through them. So it seems to be our favorite shipwreck that we've been talking about week after week. Uh, down there in Georgia, uh, crews are cleaning up oil that is leaking from the remains of the shipwreck there in the St. Simmons Sound. Crews on the water nearby beaches are cleaning up oil leaking from the remains of the overturned cargo ship being dismantled. Responders began mopping up oil from Shipwreck Monday and were still finding some sheen on the water Wednesday as well as oil globules in sandy shores of St. Simmons Island and Jekyll Island, said Coast Guard Petty Officer 2nd Class 
Michael Himes, a spokesman for the multi-agency command overseeing the demolition. We're looking at those kinds of impacts every day. Most of the time we don't find them, but when we do, that's when we've got to get the equipment and the personnel at hand to respond. The Golden Ray, a South Korean automotive carrier, uh, capsized on September 8th, 2019, which we've probably said a dozen times, and there's some background information. <laughs> and with everything, we will have it in the show notes. And Mac, before the show, pointed out that he had some some better images, and so here are some of those. That that boom, uh, they must have anchors in the corner to make it nice and square like that. That's how we did it um, whenever we had an oil spill or something at, uh, at the plant. Mm-hmm. We'd put them out, and then you'd anchor them to the bottom so you could contain it. Yeah. And like you said, sort of make it square. Nice and pretty. Uh, but not, you were you were saying in the other article that you read that they were having uh, some oil was leaking past the boom? Yes. Um, I actually had a couple of ones where they looked like they were shoveling globules of, of oil-infested whatever. Mm-hmm. But it was uh, making a heck of a mess. Heck of a mess. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that's what they're doing. They're shoveling it from the beach there in a bag. Yeah. Uh. So if you're going to walk on the beach, you could get muddy feet or oily feet. I don't know if it's burnable, though. I was curious about that. Um, well, it's it's going to be, well, it depends on what oil it was leaking. And you probably have to process it, dewater it a little bit and maybe refine it. I bet if you had a, like a bunker burner. You know, you just, you know, anything that, was, that you can burn petrochemicals in, you might be able to. Yeah. I mean, people do French fry grease. You know, why not some uh, oil, old oil from? Well, I know a lot of places do use oil, you know, like used oil from trucks and cars and burn in their heater burners. Yeah. They're not very selective. You can just burn anything that'll burn, they'll burn. Right, it's it's almost like a uh, potbelly stove. You've you've got a a pan in it; it heats up, and if you can yep. get it to a temperature where it combusts, that will go. Yep. Well, we talked about this other one, this next article last week. Lake Michigan shipwreck suddenly moves. This is a wreck that I had never been on. I know it's sometimes in in Michigan. It's an early shipwreck. Uh, Wolf's used to do it as a as a dive years ago. But we talked about it. We weren't sure if it actually had moved or not. And this article shows another image of it sitting out there uh, in the water, kind of there on the beach. What we're referring to is the city of Green Bay, which the description used to be you go down to this location on this road, look right, and there it is in the water. Yeah. Um, The unexpected shift of more than one quarter mile south and ended up in shallow water in front of a homeowner's eroding bluff. It was a rare event, but not unprecedented in Great Lakes shipwreck history. And this is uh, some shots from MSRA that was in the article we had last week as well. It's it's a thing about these shipwreck stories. Uh, From a local perspective, we hear them probably in three or four different waves. You have the, the original coverage of it, and it starts getting picked up by the AP and the press because people love to look at some of these shipwreck articles. And then, Mac, you got out in the plane, and then you oh. had some images as well. So let's go ahead and share those. So what is this an, an image of that we're seeing? 
This is what it looks like from about 800 feet up. Uh, right now, you can see the bottom quarter mile offshore. What we do is we go out and we look for, like in the left-hand corner, you can see that sort of patch plus mm -hmm. some dark images. I mark those because those are the ones you want to go back out and find out what the heck is that big stuff. So that, that patch, while, you mean the one in the lower left-hand corner? Yep, yep. Because it's definitely something there, but you're not sure what that. And if you go dead center to the middle of the picture, you can see what the wreck is off, like dead center to the right. Yep. Four o'clock, and you can see the boat. Yeah. So, so and it also there... gives you perspective of the shoreline. Mm -hmm. Yep. So the, there I'm showing uh, kind of the zoom in overlaid in the photo, and then this third yep. image will actually be the the close in on that that zoomed in section. Uh, how how high were you when you took that photo? I was 800 feet. I love my. I had a iPhone 12 mm -hmm. Pro Max. I love that sucker. That is a wonderful phone. Yeah, that, that's a great photo. And blow it up. So, so you, you're flying the plane and you got the phone in the other hand. We're not, we're, we're, we won't go in. We won't, we won't go into detail. But, uh, we <laughs> actually, today I had me um, a co-pilot. Uh, I've been meaning to take him up for a while. Mm -hmm. So he got that general tutorial. Here, do this to keep the plane straight. And, <laughs> and let me, let so me get the you, you trusted him more with the plane than you, you did with your phone. <laughs> oh, hell yes. <laughs> I mean, it was a flat day today. You could not have asked for better weather. Oh, be I mean, that, that photo looks beautiful because you didn't, there's like almost no glare. No, You could see a little bit of waves, but not a ton. Yep. Well, when Amy and them were out there the other day, uh, Amy Ailes and, and Kevin, mm -hmm. they've done some really good shots. Uh, they were, and you saw the boat picture of them on it. Yeah. Uh, the reference is if you're looking on the shore, look for the the tire. And looking at the tire, everybody knows what a tire looks like, what size. And you can, from that perspective of the tire out, gives you an idea of how far from shore it is. And all of those bluffs used to not be ragged and torn up. They used to be like sand dunes. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. the, the storms in the last two years have just been killing, killing the lake, yeah. and, the lakeshore. And and this is a, a photo that Kevin took. And I, yep. I, I think it's true. almost like a self poach, like a selfie, isn't it? Isn't he in the boat? Well, that's, a, yeah, <laughs> so, that's with the drone. Yeah. So he's in the boat and he's doing a drone shot. Beautiful drone shot. Kevin. Yep. That, that one looks yes. nice. But uh, you can see how clear the water is. It's been, oh. um, I think you were on Havana the other day. There were 15 to 20 feet on the Havana. And I've heard. Other people have had up to forty foot visibility in areas around where we're at now. Mm -hmm. Did you get a chance to fly over the Havana? Is is it possible to get? I mean, it wouldn't be nearly as clear as this one. No, I I did do that because it's like I said, quarter mile is very easy to see the bottom. Half mile depends on how deep the water is, but a mile out can't tell. Yeah, yeah, because it's because because the Havana's. I mean, it's kind of in between shallow and deep, and recreational. 50 feet. Yeah, so it's got a little no, bit. It wasn't deep. that good. Yeah, yeah. Even the Muskegon was blurry today, and mm -hmm. that's only in thirty-eight, thirty-two feet of water. I mean, you could see the intake and discharges for the cook plant. Just, I mean, just gorgeous, but you're only talking twenty feet of water. 
Yeah. So that that they're right in their backyard, and then we're not yeah. the only ones who are having things come up on shore. An investigation is being launched after pieces of an 1883 shipwreck were found on a Lake Huron beach. An archaeological investigation is underway in the southern Bruce County after shipwreck remains identified as belonging to the 19th century schooner Homer H. Hine were discovered washed ashore at Point Clark Beach. Maritime archaeologist Scarlett James Oh, I said James. It's Janice. I need to uh, I think I need a little bit bigger monitor or a little bit better glasses. Uh, apologize for that. Janice, J-A-N-U-S-E-S and a maritime historian, Patrick Folks are donating their time to document the pieces. So far, they've conducted uh, preliminary recordings of the wooden remains, majority of which were discovered along the Lake Huron shoreline this spring. Uh, Genesis said she has put on a call for more volunteers in the Ontario Marine Heritage Committee to assist with the investigation. There are a number of things that we still need to do to get back and do some detailed drawings of each of the pieces they've been washed ashore. I'm hoping that we can do snorkeling scuba survey offshore between the shore and rocky reefs. I'm also asking for assistance with a side scan sonar to look at the main wreckage, which would be offshore and the other side of the reef, she said in an interview. Uh, she received the Maritime Archaeological License for Investigation, and she is working with the Huron Kynloss and the province to place the, bring the shipwreck pieces and bury them uh, once a documentation process is complete, burial will help preserve the remains so archaeologists can return if needed to unearth the pieces to gather more information. Yeah, so there, there's a, a photo showing those pieces that they're having up on the beach. If we just leave the pieces out in the open, they're going to dry, they're going to warp, and eventually they'll be unrecognizable. Uh, conservation would cost an arm and a leg, so this is the best alternative. Local residents have been spotting pieces of shipwreck on the beach for the past five years, but this brings significant numbers uh, washed up, including large pieces with numerous iron fasteners that were part of the centerboard box of the sunken vessel. Uh, they visited the beach to begin field work on May 13th. Uh, they were notified about the discovery and uh, news released last week on the Ontario Marine Heritage Committee and Minister Ministry of Natural Resources and Forestry are investigating to gather further information about the shipwreck. While the beach hasn't been closed, municipality has posted signs advising people ongoing archaeological investigation as the pieces not be moved or damaged. There are concerns of safety areas. There are more metal pieces protruding from the shipwreck. Please do not touch or climb on them, the release said. We appreciate your patience while we work with our partners to determine the path forward. And then they have a you know a few more details. So what's what's your thought on burying it? Does that make sense? I don't think it's worth playing with any of that. It's crap wood. It's been there forever. And what they're going to do? Seriously, what are you going to do with that piece of wood? Well, I think they just wanted it in case they didn't document it accurately enough. Now, if they needed to, is 
I mean, there's notches cut in that. So would that have been like a knee along the side? It doesn't look that way to me. I, I can't. I was trying to figure. It's not a centerboard. No, I don't. I don't think so either. And then, if you but, look, you can uh, kind real, of see the real. foot foot of somebody standing there. So these are not long pieces. You know, maybe eight feet. Oh wait, no, a little bit longer. Uh, maybe third. Well, it's hard with the camera angle. That could be eight to twelve feet. The longest piece. That short one's probably three at most. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'd probably archaeologist mad at me and stuff like this, but <laughs> I don't understand why it's worth one darn bit of effort. They're not going to display it. They're not going to preserve it. It's going to rot by itself. And if they bury it, they're going to forget in three years where they buried it. And what are they going to do if they dig it up? What kind of research can you do with a piece of wood you just drug up from the dirt that's been there for five years? What is unique about that wood from that period of time? I, I can't. I, I, I don't see the expenditure of the time and effort. No. Uh, I mean, from, from what I'm aware of shipwrecks, I'm not seeing uh, that as being that interesting of a, a piece of wood. I, I mean, it's interesting from the perspective it's part of a shipwreck. But again, one, if it's not moved... Mother Nature is going to take care of it for you, as she has for thousands of years. So, money and the efforts, I'm not sure really what you get out of it. You already know the history of the boat. Yeah. So we'll keep an eye out for that. We'll see if there's any updates. Uh, I don't think we're going to hear much. It's a, it's a known wreck. Um, well, know, items are like coming in and out of the beach, sand. Remember the big sections of wood I felt well, I went out and looked at with some other people uh, mm -hmm. a couple of years ago between yeah. um, Grand Mirror. You know, so it was present. I mean, bigger than that, hun big hunks of wood. Uh, definitely part of a ship. Three days later, it's gone. Now, what are you going to do? You're going to drag and try to drag it up? Who's going to pay for it? And then five more years from now, it's going to be revealed again makes really good news i suppose but of what value was it yeah well how about this next one this is from the cayman news service divers could be spreading fatal coral disease the deadly stony coral tissue loss disease has until very recently been advancing in a uniform path but with reports of it spreading in random, unconnected sites, the Department of Environment is now worried that divers and boat operators may be unwillingly spreading the disease. This latest fatal coral disease was first spotted in the Cayman Waters last June at Penny's Arch and Rum Point. It has since steadily advanced where the next round, the Northwest Point and east along the North Shore, despite efforts by the DOE, to arrest the spread. Even more worrying are the recent random outbreaks around the south coast. Because these outbreaks have appeared in random dive spots as far apart as the northeast and southeastern crossline, coastlines, DOE officials believe it might have been being spread by scuba divers in boats with an outbreak that's isolated anchor reef, dive site in the southwest, 
intervention to stop the spread of the highly infectious disease has become even more challenging. So, I mean, that, that's something did you, they, you... Go ahead. Did, did they even suggest how a diver could be transmitting that or helping transmit it? That's a diver could be doing such that. What could the diver, what is the diver doing that possibly could do that? That would be nice to know. Then a diver could try not to do that or decon his equipment. You know what I'm saying? Right. It's not very helpful if you don't know when you make a supposition like that, but based on what? Well, I don't know anything else, so I'll say that. Well, and they don't, they don't know. And this has become fairly recent and they're just noticing that it's spotty. So is it truly spotty? Um, I mean, cause there's other reasons why, uh, it could appear spotty is that you could have resistance. Uh, some corals could have resistance to it. Yeah. So they weren't susceptible. You know, if you have colonies, you know, the light change in, uh, diversity in the colonies could be, so it could be spotty. Um, you know, they say it's highly infectious. Um, could it be? But that's okay. What does that mean? Highly infectious. I don't know. And and they don't explain that's it. I wish they'd have said that. Yeah. It'd be interesting to know how it spreads if it's infectious. So is it, if you touch something, you take that particulate, put it on something else and that um, infects it. It would be nice to know what they mean by that. Yeah, they didn't say. I'm going to see if we can find anything more about the disease in general. So here is a post for the Reef Resilience Network. So stony coral tissue loss, or SCTLD, is a disease affecting over 20 species of hard coral in the Caribbean. It's currently causing significant damage to coral reefs in Florida being reported in the Caribbean islands while disease are not uncommon on coral reefs. Uh, this one poses a particularly significant threat to Caribbean reefs because it's large geographic range, extended duration, high rates of mortality, and large number of coral species affected. Uh, it's suspected to be caused by bacterial pathogens and can be transmitted to other corals through direct contact and water circulation. Uh, many current efforts are underway to identify disease agents, relationships with environmental factors, strategies to treat disease colonies, identify genotypes of corals that are resistant. In conjunction with these activities, many resources are being developed to assist management and other stakeholders in defending, uh, in identifying and responding to the disease. Resources provided here will contain updated results as a collaboration amongst many partners to combat it. You know, because divers are taught to stay away and not touch the stuff. Mm -hmm. So if they're not touching it, how are they transmitting it? If it's done by the currents, then that's particulate from that in the water stream as opposed to the diver. Or if the diver got it on his equipment or himself, then if he deconned it, should not be an issue. If he dove one area, then went over to another one and dove, that would be a possible way. But be curious to know if they've done any research to see, is it transmittable that way? Yeah, it's interesting. They uh, 
field identification cards by the Florida Department of Environmental Protection, photos diseased coral species that can be laminated and used in the field. Some, some interesting uh, notes here. Uh, this one's in our own backyard. People and pets are being urged to avoid contact with lake and river foam. Zoom that in a little bit. Yeah, I posted a thing in the club site also on this. It came from the uh, Department of Health from Michigan. It's a lot uh, longer item than this one here. This is mm -hmm. pretty short. But anytime you see flocculent, and that's what we normally would call it, we normally see it as if it's coming down from the dam up by the paper dam. Yes. But by the same token, where we go in to dive quite often there at the Riverside Park, you've got the big sign that says, Oh, be aware of the biological hazard from the dump that's actually done there from the street lines. Mm -hmm. The sewage, not the sewage, but the storm center. Storm, storm sewers, yeah. The Yes. And that could be another potential source because normally we see a lot more of it down by Merrimont. Mm -hmm. And that's after you have two more of those major pipes that feed in the storm overflow. Yeah. So what they're saying is that the, the the white form that the foam, which I, I don't know if you're if there's a way to identify it just looking, but they're concerned with the foams that have the PFAS contamination. Yeah. And that PAFAS uh, can come from a variety of sources. One is uh, when they foam a runway at an airport or or a fire department. Uh, that is that chemical uh, that that contains PFAS. So uh, around Kalamazoo, a lot of military bases where they were doing a lot of training where they're putting the foam out to, uh, for fire prevention in, a, in the case of a plane coming in. Uh, and that was being run. So they've, they've got water samples in, in many areas of Michigan that are above uh, safe levels of this contaminant. Uh, and then I understand that this is also can be present in manufacturing locations where they did nonstick cookware. Yep. So uh, if you got like Teflon pans, uh, PFAS uh, isn't is uh, an ingredient in that manufacturer. And I'm sure there's other things. I'm sure it's just not. So the the name is polyflora acyl. Yeah. I'm not even going there. <laughs> yeah. Polyflor. Oh, Ackle. Yeah. So, yeah, I, it's about as good as I'm going to get <laughs> on that. So, PFAS. But there, there's other things. Like you said, the paper mills, you know, paper manufacturing process will create a foam as well. And I don't believe that they have the same cam uh, chemical contamination. I mean, they have a different set of chemicals that you get, bleaches and whiteners that are used in the paper manufacturing. But, so, yeah. I think it goes without say, don't eat the white foam. Is, uh, absolutely. It, yeah, yeah, you shouldn't eat the white foam. And then SpaceX is launching sea critters. I mean, what's a, isn't this a travesty? You know, <laughs> try, try to have some fake outrage. Uh, SpaceX, uh, an aerospace company founded by Tesla CEO Elon Musk. You just can't say the company name. You got to put that in there. Launched Sea Creatures and Solar Panels International Space Station on Thursday, which was today. I, I happened to watch that launch. Uh, the Dragon spacecraft 
took off from uh, Kennedy Space Center carrying sea creatures, including a bobtail squid, bacteria, and tardigrades, or uh, also known as the little water bears. Uh, the tardigrades are to be used to study how the animal is able to adapt to high-stress environments and results could advance science, understanding of stress factors, and affect humans in space. And you, we have to cover anything that it says we've got sea creatures in space. It's just kind of a requirement. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I almost thought that would be a good show title, Sea Creatures in Space. Well, actually, we're going to know more about that this month. How's that? Well, the uh, Department of Military Affairs and all of that are, are to release all their information on alien technologies they have uh, obtained and on their thoughts and uh, comments on what they're trying to do about the unidentified objects that they have now identified as they ain't ours. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that, that comes out this month. I was wow. hoping it'd be out already, but it's not. Yeah, so so you think this is just to kind of soften us up? They're going to say that that's uh, you know we got some sea creatures up there, and then just come, oh well, there's also some aliens. Well, you got to remember the last Navy one, which was what last week, uh, after they had the Delta one tracked a couple of the destroyers, they went down to the surface and then disappeared into the water, and they tracked several objects at high speed until they disappeared. So hey. Aliens, space aliens in our water. Well, uh, they say octopus are very intelligent. Now, now, maybe you can answer this question: Would the space alien have a skull that looks like this? The one on the other page. <laughs> a giant skull with something akin to tweezers for a mouth washed ashore in New Jersey, igniting a social media debate over what it might be, and more importantly, what killed it. The skull, picked clean of all flesh, was found Monday at Island Beach Stone Park, according to Facebook posts on the park officials, 10-mile-long park that is one of New Jersey's barrier reefs, about 75 miles east of Philadelphia. You never know what you're going to find on the beach after a storm. Our state park police found the skull yesterday, and the park wrote on Facebook. Park staff did not give dimension to the skull, but a photo shows it stood waist-high alongside an officer that was a couple of feet wide. Oh, I thought they were calling the officer a couple of feet wide. I was trying to figure. <laughs> well, there you go. That, that is some social media for you. And, and an investigation or an invitation for people to guess what it might be has gotten 2,700 reactions, 2,000 comments, and 6,500 shares. Many what of the comments. Did, what, what some of the comments, what, what did they think it is? Because it looked pretty, pretty freaking dangerous. Uh, so one of them was uh, something from a lab, experiments with animals. One got away, appears to have been eaten, a man posted. Seriously, it reminds me of a prehistoric bird, another commenter said. Yeah. Uh, jaw or skull of a whale. Uh, look at the jaw, though. I, I... Yeah. Well, the, the park updated its Facebook page to post that it was the jaw or skull of a mink whale. A mink whale. Yeah, let's see. What is it? Now we'll have to look up a mink whale. See what uh, it looks like. I got to look up mink whale. Oh, a mink whale is going to. Mink whale, is that kind of like white with, you know, maybe a little bit of spots on it or something? Is that a mink whale? Not a clue. I thought they killed all the mink during the uh, pandemic. Wasn't that one of the things that was happening? <laughs> okay, here's the, the great big book of everything, of course. 
the knower of all information, never wrong, the Wikipedia, uh, the dwarf, yeah. <laughs> the dwarf mink whale. Eh. So that's what they think it is. That's what they're saying. I think it is. If we can zoom them in a little bit. Yeah, maybe. Huh. Yeah. Now I got to look that up to see what it looks like. <laughs> what is it? Petrodactyl? Dactyl? Dactyl? That's what I thought it looked like. Oh, uh, yeah. The, the beak the, of the bird. The pterodactyl or. Yeah. The P, I think, is silent or something, which I think was a punchline for a joke a few weeks ago. But. Uh, <laughs> And then here are all the other words I'm not going to pronounce <laughs> for it. And then we've got uh, Tennessee. Beneath the Tennessee River, a steamboat wreckage presents a mystery. And, and this is another, wait, we're going to be running long, so I won't read the whole. <clears throat> but I did have to look at this one because we have side scan images. So I think it's also another requirement. When we have side scan images, we have to take a look. I missed that one. I got to load that so I can look at it. You've piqued my curiosity. So it said. All right, I didn't see this. Excuse me. It said somewhere between the two bridges spanning the spanning the Tennessee River and Chattanooga, the wreck the wreck ship rests at the bottom of the river for decades. A murky brown green water has flowed over her timbers, rusted the iron steel, and concealed her from joggers and walkers in the park and the bank above. Her name and adventures through the Tennessee Valley has seemingly been lost to time. There have been stories. Someone out fishing sometimes get a glimpse of the ghostly ship on their fish finder, but an anthropology professor in his class were aiming to figure out more. At the end of the year, disrupted by the pandemic, Morgan Smith, assistant anthropologist professor at the University of Tennessee in Chattanooga, wanted to take his students into the field and show them how to work tools and modern-day underwater anthropologist. In mid-April, Smith and his students in the underwater archaeology class, rented a pontoon boat to scan the river sonar equipment in a place they believed the ship rested. Sonar cut through the murk of the water, Smith said. You can see all the features down there that are normally just to the untrained eye. It's just a river, but to a person with sonar and much more than that. Smith had focused his work in an underwater prehistoric archaeology, such as trash heaps and other remains of prehistoric people who lived on the land before the sea levels rose and helped preserve the sites. He said underwater archaeology is in demand because of the uh, construction of offshore rigging and wind farms requires archae archaeological surveys. Because sonar equipment is integral to that field, Smith wants to give his students a hands-on demonstration. So is that part of what how they're selling the class? Become an underwater archaeologist because you're all going to need to scout uh, turbine o sites. Only in America and other, <laughs> and some other countries who are trying to make a buck. On April 10, uh, Tennessee Division of Archaeology granted Smith and his students permit to examine the site. And how, why? Why do you need a permit to dive in the water to look at something? Are they just I'm trying not to go there? Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah here, I'm, I'm trying. I'm, I'm like holding them up to you. I'm like, you know, come on. Uh, this is. Yeah, so, you know, you can freely navigate in the water, uh, do that, but don't look. You can't see this trash somebody left here a hundred and some years ago. Uh, on April 10th, uh, they grant him the permit. First time the site has been recorded, it's only the tent shipwreck in Tennessee waters known 
and recorded by the Division of Archaeology. Well, maybe if you, <laughs> there's a whole other discussion there. <laughs> Smith believes the ship he saw in the sonar was a boat named the Chattanooga. But the question of which Chattanooga is it, the challenge is to pick it up from the features in the riverbed, such as sunken barges. We did really, really easy part, and that's dragging the sonar instrument and using the image, uh, using it to image the stuff for us. The next step is taking the map of the sonar made and methodically comparing to the boat to historical record. The most historical significant steamboat named the USS Chattanooga was the one the Union Army built. And I think this is an incorrect date. I don't think many boats built in 1963 were being used in the Civil War. Uh, the ferry supplies from the starving Union Army. <laughs> no, I think... I think maybe uh, yeah. misplaced one digit there. Yeah, I, I think 1863 was probably more to the point. Confederate Army, which has de destroyed rail bridges and sat perched on lookout mountains, uh, was struggling with supplies flowing into Chattanooga, said Jim Ogden, historian to Naval Park Services, Chattanooga, uh, oh, Chickamauga, and Chattanooga Military Park. Wow, look at that boat. We used to have, we didn't have... It's interesting how that, so that's a river boat, flat bottomed. Did it have a rear paddle wheel? Do they? I'm imagining it does. I mean, yeah, probably, I can't see any screws probably, on it. Yeah. Uh, so the Union Quartermaster began building steamboats in Bridgeport, Alabama to bring supplies to Chattanooga under the cover of darkness one October in 1863. The first of these boats, the USS Chattanooga, pulled two barges with her food to the Union Army, Army in Chattanooga, opening the cracker line after the war military said the boat in 1866 and his private owners were operating it away from its namesake city, according to a list of historical steamboats called Way's Pack of Discovery. So what are they going to get to? They're just like talking and talking, and it goes on for quite a while. Uh, well, who makes money out of this? And who pays for this? For any of the work that's done, of what value is it? Who, who benefits from it? Well, in this one, the guy who got the permit is teaching a class, so he's benefiting because uh, those students don't But why don't did he get... need a permit? Why did he need a permit? <laughs> I, it seems kind of silly to me. Up here in a river, there's no expectation uh, in a navigable river that anything that's on the bottom uh, should, it should be safe. I mean, because it, it's dredged uh, uh, waterways. I mean, you've got, what, 3,500 known shipwrecks? Mm hmm You know, the water from Cape Cod, what is it called, the infamous shipwreck graveyard? 30, yeah. How many of those are historically significant? Well, they're all old. Does right. that make them historically significant? You know, I'm old. Am I historically <laughs> significant? Probably not. <laughs> That's a whole other part there. Uh, and again... Who gets the parts and pieces if they had any? Who's going to store them? Who's making the money out of it? Yeah. Well, and and going on in 2019, for instance, Alabama made an admiralty claim on the former slave schooner Clotilda. See, this is part of it. They try to scare you into saying that this is all protected. You can't do anything. If that was true, why did they need an admiralty claim on it? Is it because they're afraid that people would see through that they were just making up rules so they want to do an admiralty claim to have some sort of ownership on it 
Now, if you and I went down there and did an admiralty claim, could we have gotten it? Um, again, who cares? <laughs> right. I mean, you go down and talk about the USS Monitor, for example, all the requirements and constraints they had on oh. anybody visiting that. And again, who's ever seen the stuff from the Monitor? They brought up a few of the artifacts. But of all the time and effort and money spent on that, who gained uh, Who gained, and what did they gain out of that? Now, Mother Nature is destroying it. That, that'd be a good article. That'd be a good uh, video for us to do. It's just one on the monitor as a, as a diveable wreck. I bet we could do quite a piece on that one. Yeah, well, I'm still curious if they're going to find the Griffin or not. <laughs> <laughs> and again, is that such a historical item? You know it's going to be pieces of nothing. You know, parts and pieces. Oh, at this what point. What are they going to do with the parts and pieces? The, the only. They're going to bring it up, have a couple of pieces to go into. This is from blah, blah, blah. Well, the thing on Again. the Griffin, the squirrel moment, but the thing on the Griffin is from history. And I, I believe we teach that in uh, the schools in the Great Lakes and probably throughout the U.S. It's just part of early U.S. history. Uh and how many people, if you asked during a survey in, in Michigan <laughs> alone, would have a freaking clue of you said, tell me about the shipwreck, the Griffin, or the not shipwreck. Oh, I'm, I'm the, pretty confident the, and it's going to be less than 1%. And maybe if you're a Uper, you might, you might have more. Right. I don't know. But see, you got to create the awareness so you can sell the book. <laughs> that's, that's what's the old adage? Follow, follow the money? Yeah. When Follow you show the me the real cannon, then I'll believe it's a Griffin. Thank you very much. Okay. Well, how about this next one? woo here we go. The Swedish Titanic. Following decades of unsuccessful search attempts, the ill-fated vessel that sank in a hurricane with cargo of iron ore was found by chance by a group of researchers looking for coral reefs. D.S. Mainbergit. A state-of-art steamship that sank in a storm in 1913 was subsequently compared to the Titanic has been accidentally found by a Norwegian research crew. The DS uh, main brigade uh, left the Norwegian port of Narvik with 43 men on board and set course for Rotterdam loaded with 10,000 tons of iron ore. The day after departure, winds reached hurricane strength as the ship passed the city of... Uh, Bode. It was never seen again. 108 years after the ship's mysterious demise, unsuspecting researchers from the Institution of Marine Research stumbled upon the wreck of the DS Mamburgit. If I'm pronouncing it wrong, I get to pronounce it wrong a lot while searching the coral reefs on the coast of Malloy. Uh, they're 100% sure that's the right ship. A researcher with a name I don't pronounce said. Uh, despite the fact of 2,100 vessels sank along the Norwegian coast between 1914 and 2006 alone, according to Norwegian Coastal Administration Research Group, emphasized that there are many details indicated in this particular ship that was none other than that vessel. There's a, there's a photo of it. At 600 feet down, covered in coral of 
really, really old it, age. So they say 600 feet down. They look at this photo of divers. If that's the same vessel. Hang on, let me look. Yeah, right there at the top. The wreck lies at 218 meters. Large coral reefs on the hull suggest it's been there a very, very long time. Wow. Found a lantern of a type used a long ago that confirms that the ship is old, but we're not quite sure if it really is the one we thought that we think it is. Well, and we have the final evidence on camera. The first two letters of the name M.A. written on the wreck. Okay. That was state-of-the-art ship when it was built, by the way. And again, if it's so important, one would have thought people would have found it or looked for it. And again, how do they? So this next article, Deep House Trailer Promises Underwater Haunted House Horror Film. <laughs> so with all the streaming services, you got to keep that content flowing. And, uh, you know, what, what's better than scuba diving in a, haunted house a scuba diving haunted house discerning horror geeks among us have seen haunted house tropes applied to seemingly every setting imaginable haunted houses in space you've got event horizon haunted houses below the surface of earth as above so below haunted houses on an airplane flight 7500 there's so much we haven't seen when it comes to finding a new location for ghosts literally sinking a haunted house and scuba diving through it though i'm not sure i've ever come across that premise before that had me interested. Deep House is uh, to be released on June 30th, 2021 in France. It is in the process of finding a U.S. distributor. Giving the English language characters, you'd expect to see it headed to U.S. sooner than later. Check out the full trailer below. What I'm guessing with the streaming services is they're trying to show uh, the interest in it. And then it's going to get picked up by, I mean, you've got Amazon, you've got Netflix. I don't know if Disney would pick it up. They, t they tend to only like their own stuff. So would you dive something like that? Well, let's take a look. I think we've got the trailer here. Oops. No, I'm in real life. Would you really? Uh, this was staged. Would you really like to do that? Um, the, the dive club did that before, by the way. I, I think it would be kind of cool to dive a house. Yeah. We've done that. Yeah. In, 1980, in the 80s, down in Dale Hollow, when the TVA flooded several areas, the whole village, town, is underwater. So when you went down and dove it early afterwards, you could go through the cemetery, the water. But you go down there now, and what, what is the state of the houses? Oh, and they're underwater? The whole villages, when they flooded the valley mm -hmm. for the TVA dams. Yeah. So you had whole, yeah, you had villages, townships, towns. And when you, we went there in the 80s, you could dive on those. Now, you're one, a little crazy to go inside because as they got older, yeah. the air bubbles would collect in the roof, and then when it collapses, you're inside. Not a good scenario. But nowadays, you go there already. Well, are you it is possible to do this. Yep. Or so here's we the did do it back in the day. Yeah, so here's the trailer. So uh, let's go ahead and play that. Hopefully we don't get a copyright strike. So here we strike. are in southwest France. 
We're lost. It wouldn't exactly be easy to find if it was really such a super secret spot, would it? Pierre's offered to take us to an isolated arm of the lake that runs deep into the woods. At the bottom of this part of the lake, there's a perfectly preserved house. It's not on any map. It's a long way, but I promise it's worth it. Nervous? Maybe a little. We'll get back to New York, we'll edit the footage. Once we reach our first million views, we're going straight to the Littlest Chapel in Vegas. Visibility's pretty good. We're reaching a first plateau 10 meters down. Sure like to hit that full face mask. There she is. Yeah. We have to have it for a movie. people are in these parts. Because you notice the face mask has a light on it. I was because I always like to say, wow. always see the bars. Yeah. Okay, I, I I may have to see this. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll I'll fall on the on the sword for everybody watched the movie and the deep house. We'll have to see. Who knows? Yeah. Well, I do believe that does it for scuba in the news for this week. Well, let's go ahead and talk about uh, dives now. Uh, as crazy as it sounds, I did get a dive in this last week. We did a dive up in South Haven. Uh, I think my max depth was probably about 14, 15 feet. We did the, uh, oh, and Karen was there too. Yes. Uh, Karen, and Karen and Jim. So we, we all got dives in. Uh, there was another diver. I think he worked for the... Was it, was it Lake Avesta Farm? Yes. Yeah. Is, the, is the name of it. And what it is, is it's a kind of an aqua park. I mean, it's got a little bit of everything. It's got the inflatable uh, play toys. I should have had photos. I didn't think of that. Maybe I can uh, download some photos while we're talking. Incredibly exciting watching me. <laughs> look look for my Facebook posts which I'm rarely on so I'm like the worst person trying to do well the key item was your visibility sucked because once you hit the bottom you couldn't see but it was warm there you go there it is yeah you have a little bit of video here Oops. so those are the inflatable items and what we were doing was connecting them to the bottom uh, some anchors. Uh, and I think in that photo, and you can, you can't, can you, this, you know, like we have, where's Waldo? Can you spot Karen? She is, she should actually be in that image. Under the float bottle, maybe? She, I think she's to the 
if you look at the white jug in the middle of the photo, yeah, and then you look back, and I can't. There's like that yellow tube. I think she's either on the right or the left, but I I, I can't remember now. So that's that's what we did. We 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 got there in the water. Visibility. Can you guess what visibility was? Yeah, as soon as you touched the bottom, it went away. Well, that was for sure. I mean, when it went away, it went away dark. But um, even on the surface, I doubt we had more than a foot. Um, wow. Near the shore, it looked it didn't look too bad. So if you were on the shore in the sand and you looked out, you, I mean, you could see the bottom. Um, but once you got out in the water, even if you didn't hit the touch the bottom, visibility was about a foot. Uh, That's because in the shoreline there, you had sand. <clears throat> Once you got past six feet, you had muck. Yeah, yeah, that's true. We had we had plenty of muck, and then we had a very fine seaweed. We were floating the jugs. The jugs had uh, like an orange. I don't think it was cave line, but it was a it was a line. And when you're un- underwater, the uh, seaweed and the line looked exactly the same color. So. Uh, but water temperature is about 60 degrees, and uh, I drove a mostly dry suit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I was having a, a leaks where I never have leaks uh, on my wrist seals, so I'm not ah. I'm not sure what that is if the if the fabric there where the seal the wrists are glued on, but uh, it kept leaking that way. I still have to have my inflator fixed. Uh, Jim thinks it's the yeah. Zerk, Zerk valve. Did you have gloves? I had gloves. I, I Well, I don't have dry gloves. You I have grubbing gloves. Yeah, I have my, my grubbing gloves. And, and they're starting to fall apart all in the seams. So. But Jim didn't even wear Jim doesn't wear gloves and a hood unless he has to. So I, ha, I had my gloves on. And that's just almost more for protection than for warmth. But I think each of us had probably four to six hours in the water. I mean, I was waterlogged and cold. I mean, even at that temperature in a dry suit or mostly dry suit, it, it gets cold after a while. So, oh yeah. And, uh, it was fun. And there were some, some, uh, you know, the divers on the surface and wetsuits were, were in the water a lot and, uh, they were pretty hardy, but after about two or three hours, they, they were pretty much done. So, we we finally got kind of got smart as the divers because they would float it out and then we'd attach it to the bottom. So we were kind of trying to take shifts. And that and that's one thing about when you're you're doing that sort of activity. We were doing it to do money for Great Lake Search and Recovery. They help fund that organization, and then we in turn will help them get these things anchored. Uh, but I, I'm sure people are thinking, well, why is it such an effort for divers? Because it's just not while well, somebody's in the water touching something. It's all the the investment, in the gear, getting everything prepped. Uh, you know, the, the day before and day after cleaning and things. So, even in my own mind, it seems like it should take about one tenth the time it takes to do all this stuff. So that was my time in the water. Uh, nice sunny day. Got it. Got a nice as you can probably see in my forehead now. I'm got forehead dandruff as it flakes off <laughs> so how about dives coming up anybody getting in the water i uh, got a dive tomorrow at uh down in niles not sure if it's going to be riverview park or Miramont. okay 
So how how's the river been? Is it got some current going? I just lost Mac. Oh, oh. And of course they did hit the Havana last week. Okay. Mac Mac, we we lost you for Yeah. We we, we lost I'm sorry, we lost you. And I think because the COVID is I won't say slacking off, but um uh, people are coming out because they've had their vaccinations, isolation and they're getting more comfortable with being around people who may have already had the vaccinations and they feel more comfortable in socializing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a good good time of year trying to figure out how to get it in. Uh, here in Michigan, we're we've hit the Jan the June first, so they no and longer I don't any see you anymore. So hopefully you're still there. <laughs> so uh, where, where we lost you is when you were talking about uh, upcoming dives. Oh wow! When I had love like that, I don't remember what I said. Well, that's fine. Upcoming <laughs> dive is uh, we got one tomorrow in Niles, high noon dive. We have one next Tuesday, be the first tankful Tuesday, and that'll be at Little Paw Paw. And then we have the SAS dives that are going on. And again, that part of the schedule was on the Mud Club site. And if not, you go to SAS, and that'll tell you the, the dives they're having. And they're having Buku dives and a lot of participation. So um, I recommend going down i mean it's a little further drive for us that's why a lot of us don't go down there because it's kalamazoo towards grand rapids uh but uh they do have some real nice dives especially when you have the food ones yeah yeah karen in the chat room was talking about uh her dive she said that she had uh max was eight feet and that was not anywhere near me that i saw eight feet uh, she said also mario dove and matt quinn were also divers in the water uh, that day. And there were other people there who had dove previous days, but then dive that, that when we were there on Saturday. Mm -hmm. Okay. Do you have a dive safety story for this week? Actually, I do not today. I, okay. I probably have it someplace, Thoughts? but I can't readily find it. Nope. That's fine. We can go on to something else. Let's see. Uh, but, you know, once again, I'd like to thank everybody who's been supporting the show. Uh, we can't do it without you. Um, kind of an update. Uh, we're, I, I did get a notification from the company that uh, bought the other company. They said, great news. We figured out how to bill you. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, I was not concerned that they knew how to bill me. I'm concerned that they move the podcast over and keep it hosted correctly. But I guess that was their big priority was billing. So we'll have to see. Um, I'm, I'm hoping, uh, and, and I'm paraphrasing, that was not how they delivered the message, but that did seem to be uh, very high on their priority list. Just figuring out how to bill me again. Um, so I've, I've, I was getting ready to do some changes in the website, but that's one of the things that they're known for is, uh, some of their website integration, uh, with a podcast. So once uh, sometime mid June, we should be on the new platform. And then I can advance the website because the website is getting a little old in the tooth. Uh, it's probably you know, 12, approaching 12 years old now. And I redesigned it maybe seven, eight years ago. And it, it needs a, it needs a refresh now that we're doing video and some other things, get that out there. Also, um, if you listen to this as a podcast, we'd appreciate if you go to YouTube, find the, the, uh, there's two uh, channels for Scuba Obsessed. One is an orphaned channel. 
and it has uh, Jim Kleeman and myself doing ice dives and some other things. We we have lost control of that YouTube channel a long time ago. I it was uh, bound to an account and we just haven't messed with it. So the current YouTube channel is a different one. So if you can follow us, that helps out a lot. Also, if you can take a look at some of the videos, what I've started to do in the beginning of the videos is I'm putting uh, during the introduction instead of just looking at me reading a, a piece of paper or reciting something I've I've memorized, um, we're, we're playing dive videos. So uh, we're actually going to start, if you've got a dive video you think that would be interesting to us, you can submit it, and maybe it can make it in the intro or outro. We'll put it there. Uh, and we're also talking about maybe for some exceptional dive videos, we'll actually do a section of the podcast, maybe two or three minutes. I say podcast, a video stream. For a regular podcast, it might not be exciting for us just to go, hey, look at that fish. Uh, but for the video, it is. So, uh, two episodes ago, um, the video was, uh, both of the videos we've done so far were, were taken by Jim Schultz. Um, one, and I can't remember if it was last week's, uh, two weeks ago, it was, uh, Jim Schultz and I doing rebreather dives on the east side of the state. And that's got to have been six years ago. We we dove with Steve Lewis and uh, another Steve. And then last week's was a shipwreck that uh, from up in the Straits that dove on. And that one had some dead eyes and uh, windlass and capstan. So uh, that's a good one. So just in the introduction. So if you haven't got a chance to see those, take a look at them. See some of the Great Lakes diving that we're doing and... Uh, We'll, we'll do some more. I thought about recording last week's dive, but uh, that had been kind of a, a green screen look. It was about what you'd have seen. We should get Sweeney's. Uh, he's got some really nice ones on our trips up north. Mm -hmm. I've got a couple on the Cedarville. Yeah. Yeah. So going through the pilot house and to the section that broke in half. Mm -hmm. So we do have some stuff like that available. And we've got some really good video of the river dives. Yeah, yeah. So. And uh, a collection of what have you found? Because people always like to know, yep. what do you find down there? So yep. we do have some stuff. Yeah, so if you've got any of those, Mac, just go ahead and let me know during the week, and we'll we'll get them all queued up. And uh, we'll try and do something. That's what we're trying to do is uh, uh, right from the beginning, we always plan on doing video. And uh, now we get a chance to work in that direction. Actually, I was going through a couple of the other day, and there's a, a, a person I know very well, and uh, they're, they're hauling him out of the ice, and he's making comments like a big walrus or something. Do you, you know who I might uh, be talking about? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure who that was. <laughs> yeah. So you've got that on vid? Yeah, we, well, we probably oh, I do. I certainly do. Yes, sir, I do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've got dozens of hours of videos. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll get those out there. Well, um so oh, oh, back on thanking everybody. So Patreon, if you can give us support. So one way you give us support is four and uh, five-star reviews preferably, but whatever we deserve, if you do that, give us some comments. And we have- Can't improve, can't improve if we don't know right. what we're not doing right. Yep. So so do Tell that. Us what do you want us to hear? Yep. Uh, subscribe to the YouTube. Uh, watch some of the videos. Like them. It's going to take us a while. We're, we're not under any illusions that we're going to be an overnight viral success. 
on video. Uh, the podcast didn't start right away. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a little bit. It's like a flywheel. You slowly start pushing on it, and over time it gets going faster and faster. So, well, at, you know, as, as you give us feedback, as we know what type of content uh, you're looking for, we'll get that, that added. Um, so on Patreon, $3 or more gets you early access to the show notes. It gets you um, notifications for the live streams when we go there. If you subscribe on YouTube, you'll hear about the live streams as they start to go live. And we appreciate it. So you got anything you want to plug before we get on out of here? Uh, get wet. Let us know what you're doing. Uh, even though I drool whenever we get those little snippets of video from the gentleman we have in Melbourne when he's diving Reynolds Bay, you know, where the octopus are fighting, things like that. Uh, if you're out there diving, tell us what you're doing, yep. what you're finding, what the viz is like. Yep. And and we'll, we're going to start doing some interviews again. I think I've got everything under control for a while. And I think we'll do interviews. We'll give people an option. They can either do kind of our old style interview or it was an interview at the beginning of the show and then they could stay with us through the show. Uh, and Or we will do an, uh, just an interview show. What will just be that interview. So we'll, we'll give you the opportunity. If you know somebody, you can recommend them and uh, we'll create a form or something or you can drop us an, an email uh, you know, on the Facebook page or uh, contact form on the website. I, I hate saying too much because I'm revamping everything. So what I tell you to do now, I might want you to do something different in a few weeks, but we'll, we'll, we'll start bringing and resurrecting some of that again. So are you ready, Mac? Oh, ever ready. Till and Runner were best friends and longtime dive buddies. One evening they were relaxing over a few post-dive brews. As the beer and the conversation flowed, they began discussing the afterlife. As they talked, they began to wonder what it would be like diving in heaven. They made a pact that when one died, he would somehow get word to the survivor as the situation in the hereafter. Sadly, Till was eaten by a great white shark two weeks later. Runner was very depressed by the loss of his friend and didn't return to the water for two whole days. But the third day was Saturday, and the seas were calm, so he figured his pal Till would want him back below the surface. As he loaded up his gear and headed to the ocean for a solo shore dive, he was as he was gearing up, Till appeared, shocked. Runner stammered, I thought you were shark bait. Till responded, I am, but don't you remember our pact? I'm here to let you know what it's like in heaven. I bring you both good news and bad news. The good news, there's indeed diving in heaven, and it's fabulous. Boat rides are short. There's never a current. There's no surge. Water's warm. The coral reef is far more beautiful than any I've seen on earth. There's a constant interaction with large creatures, but at the same time, the macro life is amazing, and since you're such a high and such a high altitude, you have unlimited bottom time. Runner responded, "Man, that sounds absolutely incredible. With things that great, how could there possibly be any bad news?" Until replied, "We'll be dive buddies again tomorrow." <sighs> it's nice to have a good dive buddy. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit in there. So until next time, go out there and get wet. And stay safe.
Well, thank you, everybody, once again. Well, just a few little hiccups tonight. Some some bandwidth issues there, right the, there at the the middle. Right now, I'm looking at our upload rate, total data output. Doesn't take that much. Uh, we're about a meg and a half kilobytes per second. 